Patrick Alvin, officially the new general manager of the Vancouver Canucks. Welcome to a very, very special, supersized edition of Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650, your Canucks home hours. of the Canucks. Yeah, Canucks, Canucks two hours. hours. Canucks, That's right. Canucks hours. We're now a plural. We are not limited to one hour today because it is such a big news day for your Vancouver Canucks. I'm Jamie Dodd, the other voice you hear there. My co-host, Canucks insider Thomas Drantz, who, of course, also does fantastic work covering the team at The Athletic. Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. Visit avenuemachinery.ca. That's right. We're on the air from now until 1 o'clock, so special two-hour edition of yeah, Canucks Hours, I guess it is today. 6.50, 6.50. I know there will be tons of reaction from the hiring of Patrick Alvin, what we heard from Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin earlier today when they spoke to the media. Get your thoughts in. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. And look, Trance, we heard Patrick Alvin's name come up as a candidate basically immediately after Jim Rutherford was hired based on their relationship in Pittsburgh, their working history together with the Pittsburgh Penguins. His name was always in the process. It broke last night. Darren Drager was the first insider to say it's trending in that direction, confirmed after that by a number of other insiders, including yourself. Today, they make it official. Patrick Alvin, the 12th general manager in Vancouver Canucks history. A very, very interesting day for the franchise, I I think, overall. You know, I'm struggling to figure out how much to read into the fact that at the end of the day, Alvin the guy who was always within the industry considered to be the front yep. runner is in fact the higher. And what does it mean that it took this long for what we all expected to in fact be the news of the day? And, you know, perhaps the club did their due diligence. I mean, Rutherford was very reluctant, I would say, to handicap this race in any way, shape, form, or otherwise throughout the process, right? At at no point did the team itself describe on or off record Alvin as the front runner, right? And yet within the industry, this was the widespread expectation. That was always the perception, 100% of the time. Alvin has long been close with Rutherford, right? They have a longstanding relationship dating back to the seven years they spent together in Pittsburgh. And it's not just that they spent seven years together in Pittsburgh, it's that during those seven years... Rutherford promoted him twice. And, you know, Alvin was highly regarded, too, by many of the lieutenants that graduated from Rutherford's department over the years. Jason Botterill in in Buffalo, Bill Guerin in Minnesota. um, You know, you go down the list, Tom Fitzgerald in, in New Jersey. And so, you know, one thing that is for sure true is... In part, Rutherford made Alvin an assistant general manager to block efforts by the Minnesota Wild to hire him, right, when when Garen went over to Minnesota. So, you know, obviously the regard there is apparent, clear, undeniable. And yet, you know, I, I part of me wonders, Jamie, did Rutherford, who gave us a lot of grist, like there's a lot of grist for the mill, if we want to read a little bit, and not even like with a, you know, fine tooth comb between the lines here, oh yeah, of of what Rutherford talked about what needs to happen with this team, right? I mean, there were some, there was a lot of commentary that pointed um, quite clearly to an organization that might be on the brink of selling in a more significant way, perhaps than we'd expect based on what we've seen from this organization over the past seven eight years and their position in the standings. You know, I wonder. To what extent, as this team just kept winning? I mean, this team went how long? Almost more than a month. A long time without more losing than a month in regulation. Without losing in regulation, right? I mean, there was a lot of time there where this market was beginning to get excited, where the curiosity was piqued by this club's form under Bruce Boudreau. Obviously, that slowed, and, and Rutherford was very careful to give a ton of credit to the coaching staff and the players for the way that they've continued to give a consistent effort despite the absences of really crucial players like Bo Horvat and Connor Garland and JT Miller and, and Thatcher, Thatcher Demko. Demko. Well, I was getting him not last for a reason. <laughs> um, you know, and and yet I do wonder to what extent was it a convenient a convenience for Rutherford to take his time, let this let this team's circumstance play out a little bit as he 
talked to some interesting people, picked some brains, uh, and ultimately brought in a general manager. I mean, that to me is one of my big lingering suspicions as, as we sort of look through the sum total of what we saw today, which was Patrick Alvin make a, a strong first impression, the rapport between him and Rutherford readily apparent, and Rutherford's commentary on what needs to happen next for this team was also pointed. It all sort of feels to me to be a part of, a, of, a, of the same thought, which is, you know, I, I do think Rutherford has a really good grasp on where this team needs to go if they're going to contend you know, meaningfully for a yep. Stanley Cup in the next couple of years. Uh, but I also think that there's a really good grasp on how to maneuver politically, both within the halls of power off of Griffith's way, but also within a marketplace that is just getting familiar with him while also just beginning to get excited about a team that may see significant changes over the next six weeks ahead. Well, and as you said, Rutherford was very diplomatic when he was asked about the team's recent performance, right? He's acknowledging, look, we only got two points out of a possible six on this homestand, but I still like the character that the team showed in a lot of ways through those games. I do think it's fitting in a way that the the news of the general manager hire started to break last night. What else happened last night is that, as we set up on the show yesterday, Drance, the Canucks you know, blew a, a two-goal third-period lead in a game that... It felt like they absolutely had to win in regulation, and instead they only get a point in Edmonton, a team they're chasing in the standings, get two points. And you take those two things in concert, and it kind of means, inevitably, the discussion around this team is going to make a pretty stark transition from can they sustain in the Western Conference playoff race to, okay, what's the future direction of this team? Now that... The Boudreaux bump has faded, right? And and yes, in large part due to absences, but they haven't been able to sustain that momentum and continue to climb up the Western Conference playoff standings. That paired with the fact that we have seen major additions made to the front office, now obviously highlighted by the general manager being in place, inevitably the talk is going to turn to, okay, the Boudreaux bump was nice, maybe it's still a possibility, but now what are we looking at? What does Patrick Alvin think about this team? What does Jim Rutherford want to do? What are these big decisions that he's alluding to because Alvin didn't give a ton of specifics about, okay, this is the team I want to build. This is what has to change with the roster. But he did echo a lot of what Jim Rutherford has had to say in specific, the need to just find different avenues to add talent and add depth to this organization, right? That was the theme that was kind of hammered on by Alvin over and over again was we need more players. We need better players. and We're going to have to find creative ways to do that. And I think, this hiring now, coupled with what's happened on the ice over the last couple of weeks for the Canucks, that that's the big talking point is, okay, what, what are those decisions and when do we see them start to happen now that Alvin is in place? Yeah, absolutely. Well, and we got some hints at what Rutherford is prioritizing when he discussed cap space and he discussed being at the cap while not being in a playoff spot and that being a tough look. A tough look for the organization. Uh, Jim Rutherford stealing my talking points, uh, <laughs> Jamie. Um, you know, I, I, I also want to go back really quickly, and I know we'll talk about the game. We've got a lot of time here. We've yes. got a lot of time to let topics we can really stretch today. our legs. We can indeed, which which I need. You know, spent far too much time <laughs> sitting down. And you know, I want to go back to a quote from Bruce Boudreaux last night because I asked him how the Lamico line fared in his estimation against the McDavid line. And he was full of praise. And you know what? That praise wasn't undeserving. They spent a lot of time in their own end, Lamico, Mott, and Highmore. But they didn't, the Oilers didn't have like a ton of shots relative to what they should have perhaps been able to accomplish from that zone time. For the most part, they were harassing and in position. And it took you know, 50 minutes for McDavid to take over the game when McDavid's capable of taking over a game from the jump. Yeah. The Canucks got a point in large part because that checking line actually did a really good job against McDavid. And yet, in breaking it down and being full of praise, Bruce Boudreaux added a comment that I thought was massively telling and that I haven't seen a lot of people sort of bring up and make a lot of hay of uh, since he said it. But the, the quote was, that's really our only line with the speed to match up with him. Right, And I just, that was like echoes of what Rutherford wants. And Alvin, I thought Alvin was deferential to Rutherford in terms of discussing where this team needs to go and where this team is at. I think that makes a ton of sense considering he's coming in, considering he wasn't up on the dais by his lonesome. But 
the one thing he did note was, you know, we need more skill, we need more speed, which is exactly what Rutherford has been saying, which is exactly what Bruce Boudreaux implied last night. There is, you know, one hymn book about what this team needs more of, and it's speed. And you know what, Jamie? That's the same hymn book that we heard Travis Green sing from back yep. in October and November. Um, it's uh, it's it's apparent, obvious, clear. And I do think that part of what's next will, you know, effectively shape the next six weeks leading up to the March 21st NHL trade deadline of Canucks history. Let's hear, we'll hear a lot of different clips from the Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin press conference earlier today on the show, but to me, and you alluded to it there, Drancer, probably the most interesting nugget from that press conference was what Jim Rutherford had to say overall about the state of the team and some of the decisions that are coming. Let's hear from Jim Rutherford. Seeing a major rebuild. What do you think this team needs right now? And is it a shared vision amongst everybody in the front office in terms of how this team moves forward and what it looks like? Yeah, well, when I first talked to you, I said that hopefully I could give you a better answer in a month or so. Unfortunately, we didn't see uh, COVID spiking again and all the issues we've had to deal with as far as not having a full lineup. But I do like a lot of players here. I like what's just happened here just in the recent week or so when we've been shorthanded. Um, not totally happy that we only got two points out of six here at home, but when you look at a shorthanded staff, I give our players and coaches a lot of credit. They showed a lot of character and they gave everything they had and scratch and clawed to actually get a couple of points. So there's some good things going on here. We have to uh, we have to add more players to get to where we want to get to, and that's something that's going to have to be decided here leading up to the trading deadline. How do we go about that? And we got to figure out a way to get a little cushion on the cap. It's always difficult, but being up against the cap and a team that's not in the playoffs at this point in time is not a good thing. So some big decisions are coming up. But now that we've added more people to hockey ops. We're now in a position that a uh, stronger position to make those decisions. That is Canucks president of hockey operations, Jim Rutherford, speaking to the media earlier today. And there's a lot in that quote, including, uh, you know, one of the understatements of the century, which is that being in this cap situation and in this point <laughs> and this place in the standings is not a good combination for an NHL team. Well, and, and let's be let's be real. It's not just that they're at the cap and not a playoff team. It's that they're going to be over the cap. Yes. They're going to have significant overages as it stands today as a result of Yaroslav Halak hitting his. Uh, performance bonuses on a 35-plus contract. Uh, that'll be 1.25 in the event that he plays two additional games plus at the end of the year, an additional 250 k in the event that he's over 905 save percentage. And I think it's 905 and over. He's going to hit that. He's been spectacular all year for this team. And then and then you have to factor in, too, that you know while Hoaglander and Pod Colson aren't on the Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes max out your performance bonuses track, they're, they're, they're very much in play to hit a couple of bonuses. I mean, there's plus-minus bonuses. There's there's some bonuses that could apply there, so the, the ultimate tally could be a little higher. There's very little way for the Canucks to duck most of these bonus overages uh, because they're in LTI, and it's basic, virtually impossible yeah. to get out of LTI uh, without or in-season anyway. I mean, they'd have to move the Furlan contract, and that's not happening mid-season. It's just too hard. Teams can't acquire an LTI contract and have it be in on their LTI. They'd have to have space to activate it. And then it's just, it's just a mess. So, you know, they're not just at the cap, they're over the cap and they're in the twenties by point percentage and their playoff odds are just over one in 10. I mean, come on. It is a really tough circumstance for Rutherford to inherit and then throw in that he doesn't even have all of his draft pick capital yep. for this year and then throw in that there's, very virtually no guaranteed prospects below the NHL level. Jack Rathbone being the closest thing, but most teams have like a couple of those guys. Most teams have like two or three. So this is a very delicate moment. And considering all of those circumstances, you know, the way that he's talking, the way he's beginning to telegraph and prepare the market for significant change 
cannot be surprising. It is the right call. It is what this team needs to do. Well, and the fascinating thing about that quote to me is that it really illustrates just how much work there is to do. And obviously, you know, we tend to focus on the potential big moves, right? JT Miller's name has been out there a ton. We have people texting and asking about Brock Besser. You know, we've talked about Bo Horvat because of his contract situation. Those are the big names that get a lot of the attention. But when you hear Jim Rutherford run it down like that, yes, there are going to be big decisions that have to be made about players of that caliber, players like JT Miller or Brock Besser. But then you also hear him talk and say, look, we just got to figure out how to get some cap space, right? And that might be priority number one going into the trade deadline, figuring out how we can create a little bit of a cushion, I think, is the term that he used against the cap. So we have a little bit more flexibility. Then you hear... Uh, Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin talk about the need to add depth to the organization at the AHL level, the need to find college free agents, European free agents, the need to find more and better players basically at every level of the organizational depth chart is not just a, a matter of we're going to make one or two big splashy moves to try to you know, recreate the identity of this team, to make it faster, to make it more like a Jim Rutherford team. This is large-scale, top-to-bottom supplementing the organization. And because of the cap situation, it's it's going to be very complicated. And I think they're going to have to get really, really creative. But that's what really struck me is we've heard Jim Rutherford talk about the need to improve this team, but that was the, the clearest distillation of how many different steps and how many different things need to change with this team in his view. And it's a lot. It's clearly a long list, a long to-do list that Patrick Alvin is inheriting here as the Canucks general manager. Oh, absolutely. And and not not to mention that just beyond the day-to-day, you've got Rutherford detailing all the things that the club he feels needs to modernize, right? Yep. Prospect tournament. Although the prospect tournament... Um, you know, I think is a is a crown jewel for this organization. Something they haven't been able to do for a while, in part because until Ken Holland came back to Alberta, uh, the Alberta teams were churlish about like, let's do it in Red Deer. Yes. It's like, no, let's go to the Okanagan. Come on, let's go to Wine Country. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, one one of the most baffling takes. One of the most baffling takes in the last ten years of contemporary Canadian hockey history is the Alberta team's reluctance to, to go to the Okanagan, which is great, and insisting on Red Deer. Uh, the other part, you know, we talked about was development camps. Well, it's been an awfully long time since the Canucks, the Canucks haven't held a development camp since the summer of 2019. Yep. That's a long time. That's a long time to be without touch points with your, you know, best prospects. Like, we talk about what the Canucks don't have in terms of a, of a prospect pipeline, but like, you know, it's also been really hard to maintain progress for your players. And some of that is self-inflicted look no further than Michael DiPietro, but some of that is just tough bounces. Some of that is just the situation you've been in and the inability to bring players in because of safety protocols and on and on. So he talked about that. He talked about a practice facility. There are players, there are players like the Chris Tana of class players, like players who've had lengthy careers in Vancouver and moved on, who, you know, crack jokes about, oh, is that the practice facility you pitched me on in the <laughs> recruiting meeting? You know, and, and, and Tana signed with this organization in 2010, 12 yeah. years ago. Um, have you seen, have you been around the league and seen some of the practice facilities? I have not. They're incredible. They're yeah. incredible. Like the, the one... That the Florida Panthers are building, um, which obviously I, I'm somewhat familiar with. They're like restoring an Art Deco war memorial, but it's going to look kind of like one of the Red Bull facilities. Like it's going to be phenomenal, and it's right in downtown Fort Lauderdale. Like they're going to be able to take guys there and be like, "Don't worry, you don't even have to draw drive out until right. until game night. Only on game night will we even use this. Like, don't even worry about that. This is this is where this will be your home." And it's state-of-the-art. The one in uh, in the outskirts of Las Vegas is absolutely mint. Like, tons of natural light. Uh, just a gorgeous, gorgeous facility. Um, teams around the NHL are increasingly based out of their practice facilities with the game rink effectively being a spot for fans as opposed to a home for players. Like, training facilities are so crucial, and they're part of the pitch. They're now part of the pitch that teams make. Players care a ton about it. You you fall behind not having that. Um, he also discussed upgrading the facilities at yep. Rogers Arena. This building's over 25 years old. Um, you know, 
it's there is a ton of work that needs to happen in the bowels of this building to make it contemporary. They they've been pushed to the limit in terms of space by the pandemic down there. The footprint, um, the the team space, the hallway that Travis Green erected. Uh, like garage garage tunnels because the hallway split the dressing room in two. Like there's a lot of work that needs to happen there. The the dressing room hasn't been updated at all since the Olympics, since the Olympics. Uh, And then you sort of work through all of the things that this organization and Jim Rutherford needs to be focused on to make it a world-class destination again. And it's like, Oh yeah, of course. There's a fair bit of work. There's that he a needs lot help to help on on the day to day hockey moves. I still think Rutherford's going to be the key decision maker. I don't just think that. That's clearly the case. But having someone to run an amateur scouting department while you're focused on like big picture capex investment that this franchise needs to make to remain competitive in the pursuit of free agents and players. Like, yeah, there's a lot. There's a big task ahead for Rutherford and Alvin in getting this organization The list back on of those big picture projects that Jim Rutherford brought up was yeah in response to a I question exactly well it was, it was it was in response to a question about how the balance of responsibilities would play out between him and Patrick Alvin and the point that Jim Rutherford was trying to make and first of all it was Really interesting to hear him have that list on the ready, off the cuff, ready to go of things he's clearly thought about and prioritized for this team. But it was specifically his way of saying, I'm not I'm not going to be micromanaging Patrick Alvin because I've got a lot of my plate and there is plenty of work to go around here for everyone in the front office. Now, later he did say, look, Alvin is not going to have to come running to me every time he wants to make a decision. But on those quote unquote big decisions, yes, of course, I'll be involved, and any time that Alvin wants to run something by me, of course, I'll be available. Ultimately, it does, as you said, it is going to be Jim Arthur making the final decisions on those big those big hockey personnel uh, questions that, that the Canucks and Patrick Alvin are going to have to answer. But it was fascinating to hear him lay out all of those other things that he has on his plate. And hearing the emphasis on the facilities on all of the external stuff that goes into making an NHL a really attractive destination for players, it dovetailed to me with a lot of what we heard from Emily Castingay when she spoke to the media earlier this week, right? The need to connect with players, the need to be able to sell your vision and your organization to players. We heard that again from Patrick Alvin today, emphasizing the importance of culture, emphasizing the importance of identity. Identity. That's something that he mentioned came up in his conversations with the Sedines, and again, it, it's just, it reinforces this idea that what Jim Rutherford and the Canucks front office have in front of them, it's not just making a few tweaks here to the roster. And it, it in fact, goes beyond even reshaping the roster. It, it, it is clearly that they are trying to completely rebuild how this team is perceived around the league. And, and the, the list of projects that Jim Rutherford mentioned there is going to be a big part of that as they continue to find those kind of creative ways to add talent to this organization. Anything extra like that that you can sell a player on becomes another piece of ammunition you can use as you as you look for that edge to get better in the NHL. Lots of great texts coming in, 650, 650. Uh, this one from Ryan says, uh, I'd like to hear a breakdown of Alvin's resume. Uh that's easy enough. He was started out as a scout in Europe for the Montreal Canadiens, moved to the Pittsburgh Penguins in that capacity as well, eventually was pr- promoted to the director of European scouting, then a director of amateur scouting, and then he was promoted to assistant general manager a couple of seasons ago by Jim Rutherford in Pittsburgh. So somebody who climbed the ladder from being a scout, uh, again, first with Montreal, then with Pittsburgh, eventually moving up to the assistant general manager position. And one of the things that Patrick Alvin said in that press conference as well, Drancer, was, yes, his background is a scout, but one of the things he liked about working in Pittsburgh was he was always included by Jim Rutherford, by some of the other assistant GMs who were there before him with the Penguins. He was always included in as much of the day-to-day operations as possible. So I think that was his way of saying, look, yes, I have a scouting background, but I also have a lot of experience doing other things too. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think Alvin does profile as one of the people, like Rutherford, has often done best with people around him that disagree with him, right? I I think that's one thing that Rutherford sort of has a reputation for is, you know, 
valuing the people who like to say no, or are at least willing to say no, right? That's, and that makes so much sense because when you're trying to make really complicated decisions or really high leverage bets, it makes sense to have someone who's not on board, who, who pushes back, who, you know, makes you drill down and defend your opinion, almost like you're almost like they're, um, a litigator, right? Yeah. Um, Jason Botterill, uh, Jason Carmanos, you know, uh, Bill Guerin, Patrick Alvin all had the reputation of doing that, of occasionally having friction with Rutherford because of that willingness to, to step up and, and question, um, drill down on decisions being made. I, I think it's a really good sign that Rutherford has brought someone that matches that description into Vancouver because I do think he's been at his best with someone managing those details. And, and you know, as he fleshes out this front office further, uh, you know, I, I, I expect a promotion for Ryan Johnson at some point. I thought they alluded to that pretty clearly in, in what was said. Uh, I expect additional hockey ops hire, hires to happen as soon as this week, although maybe we go into next week with some of them. Uh, but more is going to happen to reshape this organization. And as you sort of look through it, you're beginning to see, you know, uh, a sort of framework where you've got Rutherford at the top, at the apex of the organization. You've got Patrick Alvin with his scouting background, although his background is uh, more elaborate than that, highly thought of within the organization, super prepared, super detail-oriented. Yes. Um, and then you were getting down to uh, the assistant general manager ranks, and you've got Derek Clancy, a pro scout with, with a player personnel background. You've got Emily Castonguay with her negotiating experience. She's a lawyer. Every functional hockey operations department needs an in-house lawyer. It's like an absolutely <laughs> You can't do it anymore without one. You can't. Like, you need it. I thought she was such a savvy hire for that reason, um, you know, and then and then pre- presumably she'll end up overseeing some of the cap management, although Ryan Johnson's been doing that day to day. So I'm not exactly sure when or how that handoff will occur. And then, you know, I'm curious to see exactly where Ryan Johnson ends up. It feels like a third AGM job makes the most sense to me in my mind's eye. Um, but I don't know that I- I'd heard that he might even have a promotion announced today with the other changes. Uh, obviously, that didn't come to pass. I wasn't able to confirm it last night, or I, I would have said it last night. But I'm sort of expecting that 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 might be what occurs. So then you've got a player development background, uh, AGM. Um, you know that gives you a ton of coverage, right? At the director level, we still expect a promotion internally or an external hire. Most likely, a promotion internally for an analytics director, and we'll sort of see what comes out of that. What comes next? As the club fleshes out some other areas, you know, a director of hockey operations would be one to watch for. Rutherford hasn't typically run front offices with that role, but I'm curious to see if he might this time around, particularly because, you know, uh, there's not a sort of cap manager like that day-to-day cap manager who's got a ton of experience in that specific area. Castonguay's got the bona fides and the education and right. the skill set to be to be that person over the long haul. But I wonder if they try and bridge that gap by by bringing in um, a director of hockey operations in the interim. I mean, we're going to see this get fleshed out further. We're going to see more hires. But you can see the framework and the people being put in place by Rutherford. And it's beginning to make a lot of sense and give them a lot of coverage in terms of different areas of expertise that this organization needs more of, clearly, as they go about trying to win on the ice. It has very rapidly gone from a bare-bones operation after all the changes to one that you feel like, as you said, has the coverage, has the personnel to make start really drilling down and making some of those big decisions that Jim Rutherford was talking about when he spoke to the media. We'll continue to play you some of those clips. Get into your comments and thoughts and questions coming in as well. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Lots to discuss, lots to chew on. Now that the Canucks have officially named Patrick Alvin the 12th general manager in the team's history. All that coming up and more. It's the Canucks Hour on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Well, I think uh, first and foremost, I think you've got to be open-minded. Um, you know, this is a humble game. I think, uh, you know, the, the players change and, and the game is changing consistently. So you've got to be open-minded and, and you're going to look for, for talent. And uh, 
Um, you've got to trust your, your scouting staff and the people that works for you. Um, you know, obviously, you know, we want to play a, a fast and skilled game. Um, and I think uh, in order uh, to be successful, you, you, you've got to be able to find players uh, outside the first round um, in, the, in the NHL entry uh, draft there. Um, you need to uh, complement the organization with uh, with uh, college and European free agents, um, and I think uh, that's something that I'm looking forward to and, and talk to our um, um, amateur staff about. That is the Canucks' new general manager, Patrick Alvin, earlier today answering a question. It was specifically about his scouting philosophy, but as you heard him transition there into kind of more of an organizational wide philosophy, talking about the need to be open-minded when you're looking at players, be creative with how you find new talent, especially when you're a team like the Canucks that doesn't have its full complement of draft picks coming up available to it. This text came in from minor Matt in Abbotsford. He says, I think the March of the ex penguins into the Canucks office, along with casting gay is going to provide the organization with the leadership, creativity, and open-mindedness that it's been lacking for years. And I thought it was interesting that text comes in from Minor Matt, and you hear those that same sentiment about creativity, about open-mindedness, open-mindedness echoed uh, by Patrick Alvin when he's talking about how they're going to get the Canucks on the right track to eventually compete for a Stanley Cup. Um, one thing I wanted to touch on, and it is Canucks Hour here, Sportsnet 650, myself, Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drantz alongside special supersized edition. So yeah, we started at 11, we're going all the way to 1. It's the Canucks two hours today, still brought to you though by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. Visit avenuemachinery.ca. Another thing that we heard Alvin talk about in his introductory press conference today was the importance of player development and the importance of a strong AHL system. And he correctly pointed out that Pittsburgh has been very successful at using their AHL team in Wilkes-Barre to develop players and, and eventually have them graduate and make an impact or at least play a role on some really successful Penguins teams. Of course, Ryan Johnson has been in charge of the Canucks AHL team, first in Utica, now in Abbotsford. And you also heard Patrick Alvin speak highly of what Ryan Johnson has done. Jim Rutherford has spoken highly of Ryan Johnson. He's very well regarded around the league. There's even some chatter that he might have been one of the five candidates to interview for the general manager position. We expect to see him get a larger role in the front office as well. We have lots of texts coming in about that and about the AHL situation specifically. This one, Unsigned, says, I just don't get Ard keeping RJ around. Utica slash Abbotsford has been nothing but failure, but he gets lauded nonetheless. It makes no sense. And I think there's an understandable level of frustration with You know, you can go through the list of players that have gone to Utica and not necessarily developed, or gone to Utica and now Abbotsford and have not necessarily developed in the way the Canucks would want. And I guess I've I've had this question come up a number of times, Trance, is what has been missing in that development pipeline for the Canucks and what is it going to take, especially if it is still under Ryan Johnson's purview, for that to be a strength of the organization going forward? Yeah, it's a it's a big topic, right? I mean, there have been some true failures, I think, developmentally at the American League level over the course of the past five years. Like uh, under, uh, I guess we're talking about Ryan Johnson's tenure in particular, right? Jonathan Dolan would be the standout one, although he's cooled off significantly. So I think that's caused the conversation to change a little bit. Yeah. But I mean, even when he was hot, he looked like a complimentary top six kind of guy. That's a useful piece. For sure. And he was, of course, dealt for a a prospect in Linus Carlson, who I would be surprised if this organization ever signs, to be totally honest. I mean, they turned a useful piece into into nothing, and and that was um, suboptimal. Uh, You know, Anton Rodin stands out as, as another one. But, you know, for the most part, when fans talk about the lack of development at the American League level, they're really expressing their frustration that all these players that they had hopes for weren't actually good. Yes. Like, I think it's, that's a really important thing to note. It's so hard to separate 
drafting success and development success, right? 100%. Because if you can have the best development program in the world, and if the player isn't good enough or isn't putting in the work or there's some situation off the ice that we're not privy to, whatever, there's a million different reasons why even in an incredible development process, player X is not going to turn out to be the player everyone thought he would be during the draft process. Let's uh, let's go to the quotes on RJ and then let's keep unpacking this because there's an awful lot going on in terms of Johnson's contributions to this organization and a lot of context that he has navigated, which explain why he is so highly regarded, not just within this Canucks organization, but around the league. Um, and and I'll, I'll get into it, but I want to I want to run the clip of how the club talked about him because I thought the uh, fact that Johnson is going to be empowered to a greater extent, although we're not exactly clear on what extent that is. I thought that was telegraphed sharply by Rutherford and Alvin, frankly, over the course of this presser. Good question. I think that's the key in today's game. Um, I think that's something we want to emphasize on moving forward here in order to be successful. I think Ryan Johnson had, Johnson had done a tremendous job um, managing Abbotsford. I heard a lot of good things about him. I'm looking forward to get to know him and work with him even more. Um, But I do think that that's the key, um, to establish a culture uh, for the younger players down in Abbotsford, set the standard, and have a lot of homegrown players. Um, I think that's to your point. I think that was something that we've been um, successful with in Pittsburgh. and I think every player has their own path. There is a, there's not a sprint to get to the NHL. Um, it's a marathon. So you've got to be patient with the players and, and you've got to support them with the right, uh, um, the, the right people and coaches and, and uh, the development staff and help every single player to maximize, maximize their chances to become a, a full-time NHL player. And uh, I think we have uh, tremendous people here in Ryan and, and, uh, Hendrick and Daniel Sedin uh, to be around those young players so they can learn. That is Canucks general manager Patrick Alvine earlier today speaking about the team's development system and the need to have a really strong AHL pipeline to the NHL going forward. Yeah, I, I was on with Merrick and I called it the Mark Donkification of the <laughs> Vancouver Canucks organization because, of course, the ability to just randomly pull out like, oh, yeah, this guy's Thomas Kunackle. You've never heard of him? Well, he's really good. Yeah, like that's like a classic Penguins trope from the from the Rutherford era. Uh, would be really nice to cover a team capable of of doing that type of, uh, you know, uh, that type of trick, like pulling off that type of trick with with any regularity. And it does require you to be efficient in all aspects. Now, coming back to Ryan Johnson, right? And there's a lot there's a lot to unpack as I listen to that clip, right? The one recurrent theme from Alvin, and honestly from Emily Castonguay too was the idea of maximizing what you have. Not just not just getting right. better at finding it, but maximizing what you have. And I do think that this organization has, you know, over the course of the Benning era, sort of fallen behind in that aspect in particular. Uh, you know, there's stories that you'll hear from agents about the prime Gillis years, where you'd get, you know, pitches from the Canucks where they were like, yeah, we're offering you a million less, but because we're going to do this and this and this, and because of this piece of sports science and this and this and this, we've analyzed your game, and this is your optimal ice time, and this is how you'll play. You'll make more because your career will be extended with us. Like, that was a pitch. Players love to hear that, right? Like, oh, right, one million less now, but four million more later. Like, that does make sense. At least it's an angle. At least it's an edge that you can build and try and have. Uh, this organization does need to get back to doing those types of things, thinking a little bit differently about how to win and develop. And I do think that has been lacking. Now, in particular, we see Abbotsford, they've had a slower start. They've actually rebounded. I think they're one of the top eight teams in the Pacific now. So they're in a playoff spot at the moment. It's been a really tough year down in Abbotsford. To say the least. To say the least, right? Flooding, prospects being dislocated. Um, a, a, a wash of injuries that have caused all sorts of odd call-ups. Uh, we thought that the Abbotsford Canucks would be able to lean on, for example, the best defense in hockey. And then Hamannick's situation happened, and then Brady Keeper broke his leg. Like, you know, we expected, I expected Kyle Burroughs to be the first captain of the Abbotsford 
Canucks, and instead he's been on an NHL roster the entire season. Uh, McEwen claimed off of waivers. Gadjevich claimed off of waivers. Um, you know, you can blame Ryan Johnson for those things, but you'd be wrong to, right? I mean, this season, the fact that the Abbotsford Canucks may end up make, being in a playoff spot, considering COVID, considering the floods, considering the massive bleeding of talent due to both injury and odd roster allocation decisions, um, you know, really, really sort of set that team back. Now, one other thing that I, I found interesting anyway is Alvin's discussing the people, the good people they have in Abbotsford, and he can, discusses RJ, and then he sort of stops for a second, and then he discusses the, the Twins. Sedins. Yes. Um, not a ton of, um, not a, not didn't vouch too strongly, I don't think, for uh, the coaching staff down there, although the work of Curtis Sanford, I think, needs to be name-checked because his work redesigning Spencer Martin's game, you're seeing that payoff for the Canucks right now at the NHL level. Uh, wildly impressive. Um, so, you know, I, I'd be curious to see what's next in that area. One one sort of guy uh, that I'm particularly sort of interested in, in eyeing, I guess, or, or watching as they... Uh, as the Canucks sort of move forward and, and figure out their AHL system. Um, there's a gentleman who's on the Pittsburgh. He's on Mike Sullivan, Sullivan's coaching staff. Uh, Pittsburgh connection? No way. <laughs> and his name's Mike Vellucci. And Mike Vellucci won uh, a Calder Cup, so he won the AHL championship with the Charlotte Checkers while he was part of the Carolina Hurricanes organization. But before he was an AHL coach, he was also the director of hockey operations for... Jim Rutherford's Carolina Hurricanes, so the connections abound there. You know, I, I sort of wonder if there's something there in terms of what the Canucks may end up doing behind the bench. Uh, one thing that the Penguins were always really insistent on, right? Like Mike Sullivan was promoted from their AHL bench. They like to do that. They tend to try, in fact, yep. to have have your coach be familiar with the AHL and then move them on up. They like to play the same systems. They are rigorous, rigorous about that sort of coordination between the American League and the and the NHL. I wouldn't be shocked to see that. Anyway, when you look through what Ryan Johnson's accomplished overall, because I've digressed so many times while trying to spit this out, in Utica, the Canucks ran a, a, a shoestring budget AHL team. Um, lots of ATOs, lots of PTOs, and they always managed to be competitive, despite the fact that oftentimes they'd be in the same division as like a Toronto Marlies team that would have more salary on their first power play unit than the Utica Canucks <laughs> or the Utica Comets had in their entire lineup. Um, this year, this year, uh, we've seen, for example, the goalie situation over the course of the past weekend. Like Ryan Johnson was running point on filling those gaps. And they managed to sign a guy in the AHL who won consecutive games. And they managed to get coverage up here with Ryland Toth. And they managed to find a backup for the American League. What a mess, right? Um, there, There's complicated reasons why teams succeed or struggle. There's complicated reasons why players develop well or don't. Um, you know, from my perspective, Ryan Johnson's a guy who's within the industry got a reputation for being a very, very able problem solver. Uh, for having a pretty keen eye for guys who can at least help you win at the American League level. Um, and, and I think for all of those reasons, he's got a ton of respect around the, around the industry, despite the fact that you wouldn't point to the Canucks as being a model developmental organization. But as you said in, earlier, and I think one of the key things there, and it, it also relates to you saying they, you know, in Utica, they found a way to consistently be competitive in adverse circumstances. It's not as if they had this constant pipeline of top prospects coming through the AHL system, right? And again, <laughs> no. you, you can only do, you can only work with the materials that are given to you, right? When you're in player development, that's as true in that field as it is in any other field. Matt. Yeah. Who's the best player that spent significant amount of time in, in Utica? It's Thatcher Demko. Yeah. But other than best that. Best skater? Colin Vertanen. It's, it's Zach McEwen. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's Zach McEwen. Honestly, yeah. it's Zach McEwen. It's not a long list, though, of, of well, guys I mean, who were expected to be impact NHL well, players. Right? Zach McEwen was an undrafted guy who ends up playing games, right? Uh, Jonah Gajevich ends up playing games, develops yep. in Utica. Um, you know, I, I don't know that uh, – I, I don't know. I don't know. I, th I think you have to twist yourself into pretzels, to be totally honest with you, to suggest that – the the inability of this club to mark Donkify in the past regime is know, Ryan Johnson falls fault. on Ryan Johnson's yes. shoulders, and I, I haven't talked to anyone around the industry who suggests that it should. 
And it remains to be seen, but as you said, certainly seems like Ryan Johnson will be playing a larger role in this front office moving forward as well. Dean and Cloverdale says, hello, Jamie and Thomas, can you define what you think Alvin meant by needing to be creative? What would be some examples of being open-minded and creative? Well, I, I mean, I don't have to do too much uh, guessing on this because one thing he hammered again and again in that press conference was dipping into the NCAA and European free agent markets in order to find players, right? That's obviously completely independent of, of, being able to draft players, it's up to your scouting, your relationships, your ability to convince them to sign with your organization. So that's obviously a key part of it. I think another part of it is going to be in the Canucks situation, and this is something we've heard Derek Clancy reference as well, is looking around to find players who maybe aren't in the best contract situation, aren't performing with their current teams, but you see something in them and you think that, okay, you know what? If we get them into our system, in our environment, we can get a lot more to that player than they're currently showing for their for their team right now. So I think those are two big ones. When the, when the Canucks talk about being creative and being open-minded, it's those kinds of moves that I think you're going to see a lot of going forward. The fact of the matter is is that the Canucks gutted in the late stages of the Benning era their college recruitment department um, you know for years that had been run under Stan Smeal's guidance by a gentleman named Jonathan Bates who sort of had a foot on the amateur side right as a college scout yeah. uh, but also on the sort of free agent recruitment side and and he reported to Smeal and it was sort of under those auspices that the Canucks you know, worked with in hockey operations. And they were, I mean, they, they were sort of primarily responsible, although Chris Higgins had been involved, Ryan Johnson had been involved. And it's it's not ever as simple as, like, those guys did the work. Right. Like, you know, you work with the director of hockey ops to staff a, a development camp, and you invite a guy named Troy Stetcher, and then down the line you are the team who has the sort of inside track to sign him as a free agent. And, you know, they also pitched Drake Kugula and on and on, right? You don't land that guy, so it goes, Right. They, Jonathan Bates was relieved of his duties um, at some point in 2020, 2021, during the pandemic, and Stan Smeal had been increasingly marginalized. I'm curious to know, and, and I, I will go and hunt down the answer to this question, I'm curious to know as the club looks to ramp back up and sign college free agents again, something they haven't done since March 2020. The last college free agent this team signed was Mark Michaelis, right? I mean, it's been a while. That has not been a recent focus and there've been good players signed like that Mike Hardman guy who Chicago signed. I yep. mean, he's down in the American league right now, but he's like a six foot three guy. He can move. He's playing well. Like there's a lot of talent down there. A lot of talented free agents that are absolutely capable of stepping into this lineup. And we've seen them have a huge impact. Like we've seen that the, you know, the college and the, the uh, European free agent track, you know, lots of people, for example, remember Eddie Lack and Chris Tanev, right? The Canucks found those guys using those devices, and to some extent it does help, especially in the event that you're a team going for it. Like, the team that most recently going for it, prizing college free agents and European free agents, isn't a coincidence, right? Yes. When you're going for well, it and you're paying draft capital, you exactly. need to be bringing those, um, bringing those talent, uh, talented players in through other ways. And there are a lot of interesting names. Like, one guy who was named to the Canadian Olympic team that I, I kind of think is interesting is Corbin Knight. Corbin Knight is from Oliver, British Columbia, so uh, Okanagan kid, and you know he he like went through a couple of not particularly good organizations over the years, like uh, well the Florida Panthers, I mean model organization Florida Panthers, but Calgary Flames I yep. think for a bit, and you know the Flyers, and he was one of those guys who was like a tweener, he could kind of score, but he wasn't really defensively reliable enough in his you know mid to early twenties. And so he kind of washed out of the league because he couldn't quite carve out a role for himself. Now, he's since gone to the KHL where he's over point per game. But more impressively, the last two seasons, he's been like a 64% faceoff guy. And he's a right-handed shot. He plays center. He's going to represent Team Canada at the Olympics. Like, that's the type of guy. Like, could this guy be the next Derek Ryan? Because Derek Ryan provides a ton of value um, you know, he had a 40-point season for the Carolina Hurricanes, right? He signed a $3.5 million uh, three-year deal with the Calgary Flames. He's still playing well on that Oilers' fourth line. Like, those are the types of 
players that if you can add them at the right stage of their career can make a huge difference. Peter Solarik is his teammate over in the KHL. I'm not sure if he's his teammate, but he's over in the KHL. That guy's like a point-per-game plus in the American League. He was buried behind one of the deepest forward groups in Boston and never really got a look at the NHL level. Like, that guy can play. That guy can. There are really good players in both the NLA and the KHL that are absolutely worth rolling the dice on. Um, and, and this team hasn't been aggressive enough in recruiting those guys. Um, you know, I, I do think they need to be. Uh, it can be hard to bring them out to the West Coast of Canada, right? It can be hard to recruit two-way guys to come out here, especially considering the cost of real estate. But that's a challenge that this organization needs to take on and, and figure out a system that works and, and really find a way to get more players that match that description in here. Um you know, because there's a lot, there's a lot of talent, and there's a lot of NHL level and NHL contributing talent that comes in through, you know, undrafted players and college players and and the European ranks, and we just haven't seen this club even attempt it, yeah, um, or or even keep structures that were working in place or build out structures or or clarify what it is. I mean, internally, it has felt like they've just kind of ignored these areas in recent years, and you know, you fix that on day one. You're already ahead of the game. And again, when you don't have all the draft picks you want, don't have all the draft picks you're allotted, and you don't have a stacked prospect pipeline to begin with, again, you're looking for ways, any way you can, to add that depth to the organization. And that's something that Patrick Alvin again, talked about repeatedly. Just the idea of depth, the idea of having more players from the AHL ready to step in. You're not necessarily going to find, you know, all of a sudden, oh, hey, this guy's a top six player playing on our first power play unit in these positions, but you can find those those role players down your team that, I mean, how many times do we talk about in the Jim Benning era of them committing salary cap to guys on the bottom half of the roster, right? If you can find those players from the college free agent route, from the European free agent route, it makes the task of building out the rest of your roster a lot easier. It gives you a lot more flexibility as well. 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Yeah, we've been on for an hour, but a whole other Canucks hour is coming up because we've got so much to talk about now that Patrick Alvin is the Canucks general manager. Keep your texts, your questions coming in. There's lots of good ones that we will get to next. It is the Canucks hour on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.